feast of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. Over the past several weeks, I've been preaching about things that are the greatest. This is all unintentional, by the way. I had no plan whatsoever to do this. It just started, and I don't know when it'll stop, but I've been speaking about the greatest things, life's greatest things. We started out talking about life's greatest pleasure, and then we talked about life's greatest treasure. Last week, I spoke about life's greatest commandment, and um, so today, we're going to talk about one of the greatest things in life, life's greatest question. Have you ever thought about the importance of questions? I'm certain every teacher has thought about that. Preachers often think about it. Jesus often used questions as a manner of communicating truth, and so uh, questions are important. Have you ever thought about the most important questions? That's plural. In other words, who am I? I I preached an entire series on this some time ago. Who am I? That That's basically where you need to begin. Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong? Well, what's the solution? In other words, how do we solve the problem that's wrong? Where am I going? There are a lot of important questions. But have you thought about life's greatest question? Singular. Whatever question I asked this morning, no doubt, if we took the time to do it, we'd get a lot of lot of different opinions. For example, if I said, you know, what is uh, what is the the most famous question? Uh, I have no idea what you might say, but somebody would probably say, well, to be or not to be. And, you know, we've been hearing that ever since, what, grade school? That might be the most famous question. I don't know. The most foolish question, at least my answer would be, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, how, well, (laughs) no comment. That's just foolish to me. The funniest might be, uh, honey, does my shirt need to be cleaned? And, of course, the answer is always the same if you've got to ask. You know, the answer is yes, it does. Uh, if it's uh, related to the matter of food, uh, maybe the most famous question would be, uh, where's the beef? <laughs> well, that's just to some of us, you know, that have food on our mind. But when it comes to the matter of faith, And this is the most important matter because it relates to spiritual things. So what is the most important question? Now, I'm not sure how to answer those other questions that I just mentioned about the funniest things and the foolish things and so forth, but I know the answer to this question here. I have no doubt about what is life's greatest question. Your answer to the other questions really doesn't matter. You know, we can sit around and discuss those issues. But your answer to this question here determines not only your eternal destiny, 
It also determines your earthly decisions, the things that you do in life. Everything hinges on your answer to this question. And the good news is I know the answer because it's right here in God's Word. Matthew chapter number 22, beginning in verse number 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Notice verse number 42, our Lord's statement, his question, What think ye of Christ? And then he quickly added, Whose son is he? Now, as I said before, in this chapter, we see a Q&A session with Jesus. And in an effort to trip him up, find fault with him, discredit him any way that they can, there are three groups that come before him asking him three questions. The first question was a political question. The next question was a moral question, and the third one was a theological question. And so, now having answered all of those questions, Jesus takes His turn. And He says, what think ye of Christ? And then there are three other questions related to that that follows. Before I go on, I want you to notice something interesting back in verse number 16. There we find that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had enlisted the help of the Herodians. This is a political party, by the way. They were a bunch of loose-living Jews who were sympathetic to the, uh, to the Herod dynasty. And normally, these self-righteous Pharisees would not associate with them for any reason whatsoever. But I find it interesting that these people that disagree with each other so drastically now come together. They bonded together now in order for them to try to do what they can to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just reminds me that God's people have always been hated. And whenever we think of the world, it's sort of strange to me that all of the other religions, you know, they, they have no problem in attacking those that are true Bible believers. They'll come together, forget their differences. And not only in religion, but in every part of the world, their cry is for tolerance. You know, we have a different lifestyle than you Christians do, and you, you need to be more tolerant toward us. Christians need to be more effort to discredit us, and they have no qualms whatsoever in criticizing Christians. 
Does that ever strike anybody else funny? Why it is that, you know, they want to be tolerant on everything and they're the most intolerant people on the face of the earth when it comes to matters related to the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ. I never thought I'd live to see the day where there would be such disdain for prayer in schools. I mean, you, you can't even wear a little red cap, you know, that with indicating make America great again. What in the world has happened? It's the blindness of the heart. And that's what we see here with these Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. Their heart is blinded to the truth. And Jesus comes on the scene here. And they're trying to, of course, discredit Him. He turns the tables on them, asking them here, life's greatest question, what think ye of Christ? Now, notice what He didn't say. He didn't say, what, uh, what do you think of me? That is, in other words, he didn't say, what do you think of Jesus? He knew what they thought of Jesus. You know, he was, he was that fellow that, well, some of them said that he was illegitimate. Some said that he was a liar. Some said he was demon-possessed. They said he comes from Nazareth, and nothing good can come out of Nazareth, you see. He knew exactly what they thought about Jesus. But the question is, notice, what think ye of Christ? In other words, it's the lineage of the Messiah that he's asking them about and that's why he adds the next question, whose son is he? Whose son is Christ? Well, they answered correctly. He knew they would. They answered correctly, but not completely. And because of that, Jesus then presents the truth here that they had neglected, and that is that the Messiah was not only David's son, but David's Lord. Now let that sink in a minute. The Messiah, the one that they've been looking for for centuries, not only is going to be the son of David, but he's going to be David's Lord. And Psalms 110 speaks about that, and it's quoted here. Now this is a critical issue because remember, this is the last week before our Lord is to be taken and crucified and for over three years now, Jesus has made Himself known, and the whole country is talking about Him, so it's only logical that He asked them this question. You see, He's trying to get their mind on the right track. They're asking political questions. They're asking questions about morality and theology and things of that nature. But they haven't touched on the critical issue, what think ye of Christ? The right answer to that question would, would answer everything else. And it would alter their lives. Look. Him. He knows exactly sufficient evidence.
miracles. Well, we've never. The prophecies and all of these things for three and a half years. He's been the talk of the town, you might say, proving that indeed he is the Messiah. But they are not about to accept him as such. And so knowing this, he presses the issue. Notice the next question. Whose son is he? Well, naturally, they answered quickly. They answered correctly. Well, he's the son of David. Every Jew knew that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David. So now Jesus turns up the heat. Notice what he says, verse number 43. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Verse 45. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Now, I don't want to presume on anyone's ignorance. I hope, I hope I don't insult anyone, but I really suspect that there are some right now, they read those words and they're sort of scratching their head wondering, what, what? What is he talking about? What, what does all of this mean? And the reason I raise that issue is because you really need to pay close attention to what I'm about to say, and I'll do my best to explain. Jesus wanted them to understand that this is more than a matter of family descent. Amen. Christ is going to come from the seed or from the family of David. The Messiah was the Lord, as David himself had said. And this word Lord is a word that is descriptive of God himself. Are you getting the picture? David's son is to be the Lord. God Himself. Now those Jews would call Christ the Son of David, but they did not see Him as the Lord God Himself. Stay with me now. Now consider the next and the last question. He says, if David then call Him Lord, how, how is He His Son? Now, a thousand years earlier, David had said that his future son will be the Lord. So the question is, if his son's going to be the Lord, then how can he be his son? In other words, how can he be David's son if he is the eternally existent David's son? That's the, that's the issue. It's found in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word... God, right? And the Word was made... Glory. That's what they The evidence is there that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. They didn't hesitate to say, all right, so you are the lineage of David, but so what? What does that make you? 
Many others could say that they are the lineage of David. But wait a minute. We're talking about Christ. He's not just the son of David. He is the Lord. God in the flesh. I love the way that it's stated in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, speaking of Christ, he also himself likewise took part of the same. God took part of the same, that is flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now you see, this is what the Jews were unwilling to attribute to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they stopped talking. They didn't ask Him any more questions. No comment. I find that interesting. They have nothing more to say. For them to say anything that made any sense, they would have to admit that they had been wrong. That the Messiah is David's son, but he is God in the flesh. And you have given the evidence that that's who you are. It's all there for them to see, but they don't see it. And so they just shut up. Let me tell you, there's coming a day when God is going to stop the mouths of all of those who have spoken critically of Him. Here's something really interesting to me. Back in chapter number 9, we read the story here of two blind men. You know the story, another miracle, how Jesus heals them. But I want you to listen to what they say. Have mercy on us, son of David. And then, then it goes on to say here that they called him Lord. Have mercy on us, son of David, Lord. And now we find these religious leaders cannot see what the blind men saw. They had the same evidence, but they couldn't see it. Blind men could, but they couldn't. Regardless of the amount of evidence, they refused to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So they just refused to answer the question. Now let's make this really personal here this morning because it's fine and dandy to talk about, you know, those hard-hearted, blind Jews back in ancient times. That's one thing. We see their attitude, you know, their attitude is, you know, our minds made up, don't confuse us with the facts. But what about you? What think ye of Christ? And let me tell you, you never have the right view of Jesus Christ until you acknowledge Him as Lord. We must. There are those that that have ranted and raged against us putting such emphasis on the Lordship of Christ. 
You know, they claim that Jesus is first your Savior, and then after that you begin to acknowledge Him as your Lord and begin to follow Him. Let me tell you, there is no receiving Him as your Savior without an acknowledgement of the fact that He is Lord. Now, none of us follow Him perfectly, that's true. But there will be no doubt in our mind that we ought to, that He is indeed the Lord. And whenever we make that acknowledgement, it changes the way that we live. This message is not just about your need to receive Christ as your Savior. It's your need to acknowledge Him and to follow Him, submit to Him as the Lord of your life. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter number 6, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? A few weeks ago I quoted C.S. Lewis who said, Speaking of Christ, he said, Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. He's got to be one of those three. So what think ye of Christ? What do you, look, that's life's greatest question. What do you think of Christ? And it matters. Because your attitude in regards to Christ and who he is... It affects your attitude about everything else. It affects your attitude about the Word of God, what you believe about the Scripture. Um, if you have the right attitude toward Him, then you're going to have reverence for His Word. It affects not only your attitude about Scriptures, but your attitude about sin. It relates to every area of your life. It changes the way you think about self. Because up until the point that we acknowledge that Christ is our Lord, everything we do revolves around self-interest. You know, we might be kind to others. We might even do a few good deeds and things of that nature. But really, it's all about self, trying to satisfy ourselves. But once we discover that Jesus Christ is Lord and accept Him as such, it changes what we think about self. It changes what we think about the saints. These people say, well, you know, I, I used to go to church. I'm not going anymore. Just too many hypocrites in the church. Let me tell you, if Christ is your Lord, you will acknowledge the fact that although they are imperfect, you're no better than they are. It'll change the way you think about God's people. It'll think, change the way you think about, about service in life. You know, for some folks, living is all about what can they get out of life. But for the person that has placed themselves under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's about serving. But most of all, it changes what you think about salvation. What think ye of Christ? And this is the critical issue for every person, the matter of salvation. How can our sins be forgiven? How can we escape eternal judgment in a lake of fire? How how is that possible? Well, it depends on what you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Your eternal destiny depends on what you think about Him. And when you stand before God, the question is not going to be, what did you do on earth? You know, we put so much emphasis on what we do. And, and what we do is important, by the way. But that's not the, that's not the critical issue here. It's not what you do. 
It's not even, well, how much did you give? That's not going to be the question. It's not going to be, well, how popular were you? Did, did you have a good reputation among other people? What do people think about you? No. The question is this. What think ye of Christ? Now, remember, nothing is said here about them calling Jesus a liar. On other occasions, they did just that. But not here. They don't say, well, you're just a liar. It doesn't say anything about them criticizing Him. It doesn't say anything about them cursing Him. They just sulked away in silence. And their silence spoke volumes. You see, in the light of His presence and of such a glorious revelation that He had given, their silence is sinful and condemning. To say nothing. That's why Jesus said, you know, he that is not for me is against me. He's saying you can't be neutral. There is no middle ground. You're either for me or against me. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You better think twice before you just let this message go in one ear and out the other and then just walk out of the service in stubborn silence. To shrug your shoulders and go on your merry way because the time will come, as Paul said, when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. What are they going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. What have we been talking about? That Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is not only of the lineage of David, He's not only David's Son, He's David's Lord. He is our Lord. And someday, every person is going to bow their knee and make that confession. I'm so glad, as the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. And since it is, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Are you willing to admit that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, that is God in the flesh, that He is who He claims to be, He is who the Bible says He is? Are you willing to admit that? Just acknowledge the, let's say, the historical fact. Now, that's not the end of the matter. That's just the beginning, but it's got to start there. You have to be willing to admit that. Yes, indeed, all of the evidence proves He is who He claimed to be. Secondly, the next question is, are you willing to accept Him as your Lord? You know, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, he is, he, he's, the, he's the Lord. I, be, I believe, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's God in the flesh. I believe He was born of a virgin. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He arose from the grave. It's one thing to acknowledge all of those, but it's another thing to actually accept Him as the Lord of your life. And until you do that, you'll never be saved. And having done that raises another question. Are you willing to announce your acceptance of Him as Lord? Jesus said, if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. Look, this is what baptism is all about. Baptism doesn't save anybody I know there are some that think it does. They think it contributes in some way to our salvation, but it doesn't. It is the outward picture of an inward transformation of that 
that which we have experienced is a result of accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's our way of showing others that He's our Lord, He's our Savior. I simply don't have the words to tell you how confused I was before I was saved. I'd never attended church, never read the Bible, didn't know anything about it whatsoever. I'd look in the mirror and look at myself and think to myself, is this all there is to it? Is it just the physical that you just live till you die and then you're like a dog, you go back to dust and, and that's it? That you'll go into a state of unconsciousness for all of eternity, it'll all be over. And I'd become such a monster that I, that I couldn't live with myself and, and I didn't want to be what I was. But I didn't have the power to change it. I've made promise after promise after promise to Bev and, and broke every one of them, just failed every single time because I didn't have the power to change who I was. For me, life was all questions and no answers. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. I, I didn't know where the answer was. Well, thankfully, someone told me about Jesus. And in Him, I found the answer to all of the most important questions in life. And let me tell you, He is your answer also. He's the answer for your separation from God. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, you, and you're thinking to yourself, it just seems like every time I come, that's all that preacher wants to talk about is how I need to become a Christian. I need to be saved. And that's all he wants to talk about. Well, thank you for the compliment, by the way. Do you realize what a horrible condition that you're in? You are separated from God. That is the spirit part of you. Remember, you're not just flesh, bone, and blood. There's more to it than that. You are body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit part of you is separated from God. You'll never become the person that you ought to be or you could be until you've been reconciled to God. You're separated from God. Jesus is the answer for your separation from God. He's the only answer. He's the answer for your sinfulness. I couldn't stop sinning, but He was the answer. He's the answer for your suffering. He's the answer for your sorrow. He is the answer for a, a wayward life and wicked thoughts, worldly ways. or what? He, he is the answer, the solution to all of those things. And seeing Him as the answer to life's greatest question raises another question and that is what the pilot this is the question Pilate asked what shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ now you're going to do something with him here this morning you're, you will accept him Acknowledge Him as your Lord and, and do your best to live under the authority of His Lordship. 
or you'll leave here lost, or you'll leave here living your life in rebellion against Him, but you're going to do something. You can't just walk away in silence as though that makes everything all right. You'll leave here either better or worse than when you came. That's true of every single person in this auditorium. Better or worse. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Now note... Notice their response. They all say, let him be crucified. Wow. That was their response. Just let him be crucified. We have no use for him whatsoever. Now we know what they said. But what do you say this morning? Well, you say, well, Brother Stone, I, I would never vote for the crucifixion. I, I would never say, well, just let him be crucified. You leave here without him. You reject his offer of salvation. It's just as though you trample in the precious blood of the Son of God and you walk out of here just as guilty as those Jews that, that, that said, let him be crucified. You're just as bad, just as guilty. They rejected Him and that's exactly what you're doing. So what will you do with Jesus this morning? You see, when you discover that Jesus is the answer, that answers a lot of other questions. You know, some people get up on Sunday morning and they wonder, well, you know, should we go to church today or not? No, no. We answered that question a long, long time ago. Should I do this or should I do that? That answer, that question was answered long, long time ago. When, when I acknowledge that Christ is my Lord, that answered all of those other questions. I was sitting there in the office this morning thinking about the message and all of a sudden, this is a little chorus that Andre Crouch wrote and I'd forgotten all about it. I don't know how in the world it uh, came to my mind says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above Him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. There's a bunch of you out there that could sing that. I don't want you to, and I'm not going to try. But listen, listen to what it says, this first verse. If you have some questions in the corners of your mind and traces of discouragement and peace you cannot find, reflections of the old past, they seem to face you every day. There's one thing I know for sure, that Jesus is the way. goes on into the chorus, and then it says, I know you got mountains that you think you cannot climb. I know that your skies have been dark and you think the sun won't shine. In case you don't know, I'm here to tell you that the Word of God is true. And everything that He promised, I tell you, He would do it for you. Let me tell you that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above Him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Boy, He hit the nail on the head, didn't He? What think ye of Christ? Until you, until you find the answer to that question, you're going to live your life in confusion and fear. You'll worry and fret 
and you'll never find the satisfaction that you're looking for because only Jesus can provide that. Will you acknowledge Him that He is indeed who He claimed to be? Will you accept Him as your Lord and Savior? Will you announce that in the sense that you'll give a public profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't have to walk down the aisle in order to be saved. You can be saved right there where you are. It's not a matter of wording your prayer in a certain way. It's simply a matter of surrendering in your heart and putting your trust, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I'll tell you what, anybody that's done that, the next thing they want to do, they want others to know about it. And we want to encourage you to come and tell us about it. Trust Him here today. And if you've got some questions that maybe we can help you with, please come. We'll take the Bible and do our best to show you that the answer is all found in Jesus. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You that in this corrupt, confusing world that we live in, in the times where we are so given to doubt and despair, we wring our hands in frustration, worried about what life holds, that we're so thankful that You have provided the answer. You are the answer. That not only did You look down with great pity upon the plight of man, but You literally came down. You stepped down from the portals of glory. You took upon Yourself a robe of flesh and blood and allowed Yourself to be nailed to the cross in order to pay our sin debt, that we might be forgiven, that we might become Your children. And we thank You from the bottom of our heart for that. For salvation, the hope of heaven, and for the change that You make in our life while we're here. And Lord, I pray for that man or maybe a woman, a boy or a girl here today that's never, never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, today may the Holy Spirit grip their heart and convict them and draw them to the old rugged cross where they might be saved. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Now, as we sing this morning, would you come? Sure.